reminding us that he's still there. He hasn't gone anywhere, amen? amen. He's still watching. Is that okay? Yeah. He's still watching and he's still observing. And one day he's going to balance those books. Part of us looks at the world and sees the injustice and we say, Lord, when? When are you going to deal with this? And he just says, be patient. I'm noting everything down. You know, in one sense, it's a, it's a fearful thing, but in another sense, if you're walking in the fear of the Lord, it, it is uh, absolutely the heart of God that his holiness will be revealed one day. It's part of God's attribute that the world doesn't love. His justice, his righteous judgments. The psalmist wakes up in the middle of the night and praises God for it. Seven times for the way God does things. Shall not the judge of the all the earth do right? Absolutely. And he will. He'll judge the world in righteousness one day. And it's good to know that we are on the right side of God because of our Lord Jesus Christ and that we can walk upright. And I hope we, I hope we do. And I hope when, when the Lord Jesus comes, he finds us faithful, walking uprightly, walking holy, uh, walking in the ways of the word, in, the, in his will, not in the ways of the world. Walking by faith instead of walking by fear. And so we're going to look at Exodus chapter 20 is where we find the Ten Commandments and God's expectation. And in verse 7 is where we find a verse that is absolutely dishonored and disregarded and abused by people today, not only by unbelievers, but believers alike. Verse 7 says, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Over here we see God's command specifically to not only reveal his holiness, but also to appeal to man that do not abuse his name. Do not use it in vain. And many people back in the Old Testament were even afraid to write down his name on the paper because they sought and knew that God's name was holy, but now it's just tossed around the news flippantly, carelessly. And so the command is don't use God's name in vain. Think about it. When we think about using God's name in vain, we think about using it as a cuss word or a swear word or to express some sort of disgust, but it goes far, far greater than that. Using God's name in vain is more than just using God's name as a swear word. And by the way, let me just stop here and say, it is absolutely disgusting to use God's name as a swear word. It is. We shouldn't. As a matter of fact, if we're struggling with it, and some people do because they carry bad habits from their old life into the new life they have in Christ, they should cringe and they should be broken every time they say it. I've met Christians that profess Christ as their saviour. They say it without any conviction. And it's a bad habit that needs to be lost, put aside, forsaken, mortified, deadened. And the only way that you can actually realise as a true Christian that you are committing this is when you walk in the Spirit and the Spirit of God smites your heart when you, use his God, when you use God's name flippantly. You need to be very careful. I'm not undermining this at all, although you know, using God's name goes uh, you know, uh, further than what we know it to be. I'm not undermining it at all. It's a serious crime to use God's name as a swear word. Serious crime. The enemies of our God use uh, his name as a swear. David said in Psalm 139, For they speak against thee wickedly, and thy enemies take thy name in vain. And if you want to turn there, we'll turn to Psalm 139. Have a look just quickly. Have a look at verse 19. David says, Surely thou wilt slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, ye bloody men. He talks about the judgment that will come upon those that oppose God, the enemies of uh, God. In verse 20, for they speak against thee wickedly, and thy enemies take thy name in vain. 
Did I not hate them, O Lord, that hate thee? Am I not grieved with those that rise up against thee? I hate them with a perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. But notice what he says in verse 23 to 24. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. Look, it's one thing for the enemies of God to blaspheme his name, but it's another thing for believers to blaspheme God's name. I, I am absolutely sick of the, you know, the world, the, the media, the, the enemies of God trashing Jesus' name. That's, I mean, many years ago, God dealt with me regarding watching Hollywood movies. Not only because of the immoral things that we see there and uh, the immoral things that we hear on it, but more so how they use or treat God's name or Jesus' name or Christ's name. And don't forget, what you have to understand about Hollywood movies is you don't have, you know, people just slipping up and we know that they need to be saved like we were saved and God changes us. But there are people behind the scenes writing the script. This is not, uh, you know, an accident. This is deliberate. And when you think about it that way, we understand that there's an enemy that is trying to cause people to turn against God and use his name like rubbish. And I was sitting there one day, this is probably about a year and a half, two years in my Christian you know, growth. And you say, what, what took you so long? Well, well, I had a lot of things that God was dealing with me at the time. And, and uh, you know, I look back at it and I say, I wish I had people in my life to tell me about these things and, and exhort me and, 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 you know, encourage me. But at the end of that, I was just, you know, sitting down and watching this movie. And, and this is when we had cassette, cassette tapes. We put it in and uh, we're just sitting down watching. And I'm just, you know, laughing. And all of a sudden, they use... Christ's name in vain and I'm, I'm, and I'm laughing and I'm laughing and it was just like that's your saviour that's the one that died for sin and I just got up and I, 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 I mean I was smitten before when I was watching that filth but there was something about that particular time where I was just done enough and I walked to that eject button and I just got that you know cassette and just banged it on my knee, says, I've had enough. I'm sick of hearing, and, uh, and, and not just hearing it, but me encouraging it. You know, what, James, what does James say? James 4.4, that a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Look, listen, these are enemies of God, and we should not in any way, shape, or form be promoting them and even, you know, simply uh, flaunting them and, 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 and recommending them. I've got Christians that I know that are uh, related to me, that are simply, uh, you know, publicly announcing Hollywood movies. And yet at the same time, having a Bible study on the same channel that they're promoting the filth. Listen, darkness never coexisted with light. They cannot fellowship with one another. They cannot. They have nothing in common. It's blasphemy. And be careful, uh, Christians, when you substitute words. I remember substituting the word Jesus for Jesus. And you, you know, I would say Jesus, Jesus. Some people substitute uh, God for gosh. I mean, they don't do this perhaps pur 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 purposely. They're not thinking that, you know, it's a substitute. I believe it is. I personally believe that it is. And sometimes, you know, it, it just happens by accident. Or am I, you know, using God's name instead of that goodness or all my word and stuff like that. And, and, uh, and sometimes, look, people are just harmless in, in doing so. But we need to be very, very careful that we stay from, you know, all appearances of evil, not even going there, not even visiting that area, not even just, you know, towing the line. You know, our communication ought to be seasoned with grace, wholesome, sober. We ought to be holy people. We need to be very careful. But as I mentioned, to use God's name in vain is a lot more than just using it with disgust. Some definitions is, you know, I want to use here to use God's name in vain in such a way as to bring disrespect upon his character or deeds was to irreverently misuse his name, to fail to perform an oath in which his name had been legitimately uttered. Another meaning is this precept not only uh, forbids all false oaths or promises, but all common swearing where the name of God is used or where he is appealed to as a witness of the truth. 
It also necessarily forbids all light and irreverent mention of God or any of his attributes. So in other words, to use God's name in vain is to use it carelessly, to use it uh, in a way that is uh, you know, loose or to render God's name worthless, to use it in an empty, vain way, which si simply disrespects the name of God. It is to swear falsely by God's name. Uh, to use God's name in vain, uh, you know, at time, you use it to fulfill your agenda. And I'm going to use some examples. Number one, using God's name in vain is when we lie in the name of God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, I want you to see something there. Paul the Apostle is speaking to the church at Thessalonica. In verse 3, he says, For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile, it wasn't in trickery. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing man, but God, which trieth our hearts. For neither at any time use we flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness. Look what he says here. God is what? Witness. Why does he say that? He's saying, I'm saying this before you and God is my witness that is true. There's nothing wrong with calling God to witness. It's only wrong when you use God's name in vain when you are not telling the truth. So, you know, why do people bring God uh, as a witness? Is because this is very serious and I want you to understand uh, this is so serious that using God's name uh, strengthens how serious this is. It brings about strength. It says, listen, I know God's watching while I'm saying this. And God is my witness. You say, perhaps uh, some men might say, uh, let him strike me down now. But Paul is saying, God is my witness. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's only wrong and it's vain when you lie, when you're not telling the truth. It brings more weight to your words so that you are believable. And we'll say, what about the verses where it says, let your nay be nay and your uh, you know, yes be yes and no. Yeah, absolutely. And you, know, and, and you better be very careful if you keep saying, I promise, I promise, when you don't have to. But over here, something very serious, calling God to witness about you know, something that is serious. And it's a serious crime to just use it flippantly. Jacob did. When Jacob deceived his father Isaac, he used God's name in vain. Why? So he can actually say, listen, I'm Esau. When he wasn't, he lied in God's name. I want you to see it. Go to Genesis, if you will, chapter 27. His mum put him up to this. She taught her son how to lie, how to deceive, how to have guile. And by the way, you do not have to fulfill the promises of God in your life by being deceitful. Amen. If God promises something, he's going to fulfill it. Doesn't need our help to lie, nor does he need you to disgrace his name and use his name to do it. It's wrong. Genesis chapter 27 and verse 6, and, Rebe and Rebekah spake unto Jacob her son, saying, Behold, I heard thy father speak unto Esau thy brother, saying, Bring me venison, and they make uh, and make me savory meat, that I may eat and bless thee before the Lord, uh, before my death. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice according to that which I command thee. Now this is the time that you can actually dishonor your parents because it goes against God's holy law. Amen? But he didn't. Verse 9, go now to the flock and fetch me from thence two good kids of the goats and I will make thee savory meat for thy father such as he loveth. By the way, someone said she is a very good cook. How do you turn goat's meat to taste like venison? You know, she's a very, she, she was deceitful even in her cooking. In verse 10, And thou shalt bring it to thy father, that he may eat, and that he may bless thee before his death. The reason why she did this is because the Bible says, and we don't have time to expound on this, but she favoured Jacob and, uh, and Isaac favoured Esau. There was a rivalry already and the division in the home. In verse 11, And Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. My father, preadventure or suppose, will fill me, and I shall seem to him as a deceiver. And I shall bring a curse upon me and not a blessing. That's the wrong reason to do it. Amen. You'll be worried about being cursed. and You should do it because it's honorable before God. And his mother said unto him, Upon me be thy curse, my son. 
only obey my voice and go and fetch me them. And he went and fetched and brought them to his mother, and his mother made savory meat such as, a, as his father loved. And Rebekah took goodly raiment of her eldest son Esau, which were with her in the house, and put them upon Jacob, her younger son. And she put the skin of the kids of, of the goat upon his hands and upon the smooth of his neck. She gave the savory meat and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. And he came unto his father and he said, My father, and he said, Here am I, who art thou, my son? And Jacob said unto him, Father, I am, e look at this, I want you to see these three lies here. The two in verse 19. He says, I am Esau. Was he? No, he was Jacob. But he says, I am Esau, thy firstborn. I have done according to thy badest me. Arise, I pray thee, sit and eat of my venison, that my soul may bless thee. Number two, it wasn't venison. It was goat, goat's meat. And then in verse 20 was the most vile. And Isaac said unto his son, How is it that thou hast found it so quickly, my son? And he said, Because the Lord thy God brought it to me. The Lord thy God, Isaac, brought it to me. Who brought it? He did. Who forced him or who encouraged him? His mother. This had nothing to do with God. And this is absolutely using God's name in vain. Vernon McGee said, believe me, this boy at this particular point is a typical of the pious frauds. You may find many such frauds even in fundamental circles today. They talk about the Lord leading them. My, he says, sometimes the Lord leads them to do something very unusual. I find out sometimes that Christian men think they could do things that the mafia would be arrested for. But these men can very piously pray about it and say that it is the Lord's will. Believe me, Jacob at this point is a pious fraud. The Lord had nothing to do with this deception. It's amazing how many things people attribute it to the Lord and it's not of the Lord. Number two, using God's name in vain is when we promise in God's name for our advantage. Now King Saul did this. I want you to see in 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 28. The context here is he's already been rejected by the prophet. The prophet dies. No, uh, the prophet Samuel, but not only this, but God has rejected him. Uh, he has enemy that are coming for him, the Philistines, and he's shaking, doesn't know what to do, tries to call on God. God ignores him. Why? Because at this point, he had really come to the you know, point of disobedience over and over again. God has refused him altogether. God refuses to even answer him. Imagine coming to the point of, that, of your life, you're not even hearing of God anymore. No more conviction, no more hearing of God, no more leading. Later on, we'll get to uh, one of the reasons why that happened. But that's the context. Paul gets, uh, Saul gets so desperate and he goes to a woman that had a familiar spirit. Have a look at verse 3. We'll begin from there. Now Samuel was dead and all Israel had lamented him and buried him in Ramah, even in his own city. And Saul had put away those that had familiar spirits and the wizards out of the land. Now he was supposed to do that because Exodus tells us and Leviticus tells us that. That they, you know, anyone that's using sorcery are to be put to death. At the time, that was the law, and so he did the right thing. But now he re, he, he he goes back, uh, you know, against that, and he actually uses God's name and makes a promise to a witch that she would be safe. Uh, imagine that, verse four, and the Philistine gathered to, uh, themselves together and came and pitched in Shu Shu Shunem. And Saul gathered all Israel together and they pitched in uh, Geboah. And when Saul saw the host of the Philistines, he was afraid. And his heart greatly trembled. And Saul inquired of the Lord and the Lord answered him not, neither by dreams nor by Urim nor by prophets. Then said Saul unto his servants, Seek me a woman that hath a familiar spirit, that I may go and tell her and inquire of her, 
And his servants said to him, Behold, there is a woman that a familiar spirit, an indoor. And, uh, and Saul disguised himself. Why did he do that? Because she had already known that she, her life could be absolutely taken if, if, if the king knew that she was still practicing sorcery. And uh, he put his own other raiment, and he went, and two men with him, and they came to the woman by night and said, I pray thee, divine unto me by the familiar spirit, and bring, him, and bring me him up whom I shall name unto thee. And the woman said unto him, Behold, thou knowest what Saul hath done, how he hath cut off those that have familiar spirits and the wizards of the, out of the land. Wherefore then layest thou a snare for my life to cause me to die? Look at, look at verse 10. And Saul swore to her by the Lord, saying, As the Lord liveth, there shall no punishment happen to thee for this thing. Now that's going against God's laws. And yet he uses God's name to make a promise to spare his, her life for the wickedness that he was about to pursue. Now, I don't know about you, but that's wicked. Exodus 22 verse 18, Thou shalt not suffer a witch to live. At that particular point, of that, uh, uh, the law was to, to simply put to death those that were uh, practicing sorcery. Leviticus 20, 27, A man also or woman that have, have a familiar spirit or that is of a wizard shall surely be put to death. They shall stone them with stones. Their blood shall be upon them. And so making a promise in God's name for your own agenda is blasphemy. Number three, using God's name in vain is when we say God said when God didn't say. Now, this comes in different kind of forms. By the way, Job rebukes his friends for speaking on behalf of God by misjudging Job's condition. And Job's friends, what Job friends accused him of. Brethren, this happens to, uh, to us very regularly. When we hear of something take place, our heart is quick to judge and we need to be very careful that we're not misjudging because if we do, we can use God's name in vain. I want you to see this now. Please go to Job chapter 13. I mean, this, is a, this, is, this can be, you know, you can be accused of even taking the place of God, sitting in judgment. When not knowing the complete facts and the details of what's taking place, you see what you see. And, uh, and you know, with Job, his friends thought that he had done something so gross that he was reaping what he was sowing. And you know what? The principle of, of reaping what you're sowing and God dealing with sin is so true. But at the application is where uh, his three friends failed. You know, why were you attributing that to Job? Well, because he's suffering. He must have done something. He must have done something. And so Job, he responds, by the way, is a very sharp rebuke to them. Is in verse 1, And lo, my eyes have seen all this, my ear have heard and understood it. What ye know, the same do I know also. I am not inferior unto you. He says, what ye know, the same do I know also. I'm not inferior unto you. Surely I would speak to the Almighty and I desire to reason with God. But ye are forgers of what? Lies. Ye are all physicians of no value. Verse 5. Oh, that ye would all together hold your peace and it should be your wisdom. Hear now my reasoning, and hearken to the pleadings of my lips. Will you speak wickedly for God, and talk deceitfully for Him? I mean, think about that. That's a sharp rebuke. He understood that, uh, you know, these are your words, but uh, you're trying to say that these are God's words. And what you have to understand about Job's friends, what they, what they were saying would have been biblical, true, but it didn't apply to Job. Why? Because Job wasn't guilty. He was innocent. He was innocent, but they set themselves to be judges over Job. And he says, will you speak for God? I mean, brethren, this, is, this can so easily be done, especially when we see someone going through some sort of suffering. We attribute it to say, well, they've done something wrong. They're being judged for that. Well, if you read your Bible, many of things take place in the Bible and uh, that, you know, are far from the truth. As a matter of fact, God uses suffering to mold the man. And God was using suffering in Job's life to make him come forth as gold. 
what God was doing in the life of Job was far from what these three men thought that God was doing. That's blasphemy. And they were, they were never close. They were far from what God was doing in the life of Job. Someone said Job warned them about lying even while they uttered beautiful words in defense of God. If they were going to plead God's case, they had better do it honestly. God will judge them for their deceit even if they used it in behalf of God. He says in verse 9, it is good that you should search. He says this, it is good that he should search you out. And this is what David said, search me, O Lord. You know, it's a terrible thing to make the wrong judgment. Why? It's because you, especially if you do it in the name of God, it's blasphemy and it's using God's name in vain. Listen, it's saying God said when one God didn't say. Let me just say this while we're on this and for the sake of the principle, uh, uh, you know, saying that, you know, something's God's will when it's not God's will is also blasphemy. We, we need to be very careful and sometimes we find comfort in that. And can I even say this to you? According to James chapter number four, just because everything's going good doesn't mean it's God's will. Your prosperity, you know, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, everything's working out. And then James says, that's, that's evil, boasting in your activity, boasting in your plans, and it's not even God's will, although everything's going well. But rather, you should say, if the Lord wills, I should do this or do that. And you know what? We need to be very careful to understand what the will of the Lord is. In uh, Ephesians 5, Paul says that to the church of Ephesus. Don't be ignorant. Don't be foolish. Be wise. Know what the will of the Lord is. And sometimes we just like using it because it brings about comfort. Yeah, it's God's will. Oh, is it? Be very careful because you can be using God's name in vain. We can also say, I don't have peace about this. Uh, uh, God hasn't given me peace. Well, hang on a minute. Are you sure it's, from, it's not from God? Uh, is it your peace or God's peace? You know, oh, I, don't, I don't know, you know, I just don't, I'm not 100% about this and uh, God hasn't given me peace, okay? But is this from you or is it really from God? Why don't you have peace? Why hasn't God given you peace? I remember, you know, uh, just when a boy meets girl and it just doesn't work out in the Christian sphere of influence and, uh, you know, and, and the girl doesn't want to see the boy in, in, anymore, or the boy doesn't want to see the girl anymore, uh, you know, I would probably say, look, I just don't have God's peace about this. It, it, it's almost like the conservative way to say, look, it's not you, it's me. And, you know, I don't have peace about you know, in a worldly fashion. But sometimes we say, oh, you know, God hasn't given me peace about this. And you're hanging and you're left wondering, okay, well, what is it that God said to you about me? That you don't have peace. I just don't have a good feeling. Why? And sometimes you may feel uneasy and you're not, you're not burdened, but we need to be very careful that we don't bring God into it. It's, you need to be very careful. You've got to understand 100% that this is of God or if it's not of God. And if you do with all your heart believe it's of God and you have biblical principles to say it is, say it. But if it's not, be very careful. Or you can be using God's name in vain. I don't believe this is a stretch. I believe we can use God's name in vain by just throwing it out there flippantly. Sometimes we think it's good because we're using God. Yeah, God got me up. Hang on a minute. Be very careful. What about this? And, and, and this, this here, I cringe. Uh, the Lord showed me or the Lord told me, especially when it has to do with you. All of a sudden, that person's become a prophet over you. A prophet has come to you. The Lord showed me something about you. Oh, really? Well, the Lord showed me. Showed you what? He showed you, but didn't show me. And so this is, you just got to be very careful. Uh, what happens when the things change? Does God change his mind? Or what happens when the Lord didn't bring it to pass? Did God change his mind? This is very, uh, listen, brethren, if we're not careful, we can use these things. And, you, and, and I'll tell you where this influence comes from, the charismatic movement. I want you to see something here. So I want to preach for a moment, and God told me to tell you this. It's always been in you. It's always been in you. Dear friends, if you want to hear God speak to you, there's one way I guarantee you, you will hear God speak. Read your Bible.
If you want to hear God speak to you audibly, read it out loud. <laughs> now, if we're not careful, we can go to this realm of extra prophecy. Now, I understand conviction when God's ministering to your heart about some sort of Bible truth that he's revealed to you or this uneasiness that's called, or something called the Holy Spirit that lives within us. But where does the conviction come from? Let me, say, let me say something. God, the Holy Spirit, doesn't work apart from his word. It is the sword of the Spirit, the word of God. Because then it's just up to someone's perception or what they think or feel. And they don't cipher, you've got to cipher it. You've got to see, listen, what if your judgment's wrong? There is a way that seemeth right unto man. And the only way we know what is right is when we come under the word of God and we understand that we can say, thus saith the Lord. God said, because thus saith the Lord. Well, you know, we can prophesy right now because thus saith the Lord. God said it. We can prophesy what God said will happen because it says it in the book. But if God didn't say it in the book, where are you getting your prophecy from? How did God show you? What did he tell you? Oh, I had this dream. Man, listen to me. If I explain to you my dreams and how crazy they are, man, I, can't, I won't be able to interpret my crazy dreams and what they... Sometimes they're the opposite. Sometimes they're negative or positive. And how do I even think about this? And I even begin to think about it. I say, Lord, what does this dream mean? And all of a sudden I can have someone in mind and think evil of them because I had this dream. But where did this dream come from? God showed me. So I need to stay away from a particular person because in a dream, God showed me. But that person's not doing anything wrong. As a matter of fact, they're probably walking uprightly. Maybe it's because of you thinking evil about that person that you had a dream. Maybe because the devil's put something in your mind that you all of a sudden dreamt something wicked about them. And by the way, there are some things that are absolutely wicked in our dreams and you dare not say that's of God. No way in the world. So not all dreams come from God in a sense that God, some dreams come from our filthy imaginations and that we dream them and God shows us our heart in our dream. We need to be very careful. Uh, we don't want to be like the false prophets in the day of Jeremiah. Have a look at Jeremiah chapter 27. Jeremiah was sent by God as a prophet of God to thunder the word of God, to warn the children of Israel from God's impending judgment and what God wanted the children of Israel at that particular time was to sip, submit under the judgment of God that will come upon them from the Babylonians he didn't want them to, to just flee to Egypt he wanted them to stay and endure the judgment that God simply allowed in their life and he was thundering that just submit yourself under the judgment of God you have gone too far you have crossed the line God's judgment's coming upon you and submit and you have these other prophets saying no no, God's going to bless you, so to speak. I'm paraphrasing now, but look at verse 14. The Bible says, Therefore hearken, therefore hearken not unto the words of the prophets that speak unto you, saying, You shall not serve the king of Babylon, for they prophesy a lie unto you. For I have not sent them, saith the Lord, yet they prophesy a lie in my name. Look at chapter 29. Look at verse 8. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, let not your prophets and your diviners that be in the midst of you deceive you, neither hearken to your dream which ye cause to be dreamed. For they prophesy falsely unto you in my name. I have not sent them, saith the Lord. You know, these people would say God said when God didn't say. You know, that's, a, that's a crime. That's an absolute crime to speak in God's name and say, this is not going to happen. And you know what? Normally it's a negative connotation. No, judgment's not going to come. No, judgment is coming. Oh, what do you have to always preach judgment? Because God is basically wanting us to preach it. You know, John the Baptist preached it. He had warned you from the, uh, to flee from the wrath of God to come. You know, it's coming, by the way, brethren. We can't pretend that God's judgment won't come. It will come and it's going to come. And God's going to deal with every man righteously. And, uh, and so therefore we have to preach, thus saith the Lord. We can't, you know, many a times people want things to be preached in a very smooth manner. 
And she'll be right, mate, the connotation. You know, everything's going to be... Just think positively, right? Just, just, no, think soberly. And sometimes you've got these, these preachers preaching things that it's all motivation, motivational preaching, uh, prosperity preaching, preaching that is just simply covered with sugar that tickles the ears of people to their own destruction. By the way, we're going to see more of this to the end of days, when the end of day comes. They will actually not come to the truth. They will turn their ears away from the truth. And, uh, and that's what we're seeing today. I won't have time to go into the, uh, the account of uh, Micaiah, though I have it in my notes. But you know, Micaiah was a man that preached, Thus saith the Lord. Jehoshaphat met with Ahab, and Ahab said to Jehoshaphat, Now let's go, would you help me take the Syrians? And he said, Well, your, your, your people, uh, my people are your people. What I have, it belongs to you, let's do it. And he says, well, hang on a minute. Shouldn't we you know, inquire of the Lord first? Well, that's, that's a smart thing to do, don't you, don't you reckon? I mean, in Ahab's mind, that was way gone. Yeah, all right, let's do it. Inquire of the Lord. You know, so he had 400 prophets. And every single prophet, 400 of them, said, yeah, yeah, God will deliver them in your hands. Let's, let's do it. And it probably was very suspicious to Jehoshaphat. And he was like, is there anyone else that we can ask? I mean, all these guys agree with each other. There's something, you know, just, just like that. He goes, yeah, well, there's, you know, one, Micaiah, the son of Imla. But he's always prophesies evil. I hate him. Why? Because he tells you the truth. Don't you want to know the truth? Don't you want to know what's coming? Oh, you want to pretend that everything's going to be all right and, and uh, everything's going to be fine and you're going to have your freedoms back and, and, uh, and, 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 and the end times won't come to pass and it's not going to get worse? I've got something to tell you. It is going to get worse. God says it's going to get worse. And then all of a sudden he says, okay, let's bring him, call him. So he brings him along. And, uh, and it was just, it's, it's some sort of humor. You've got to go, uh, you know, see this in First Kings chapter 22 later on. And he says, okay, what, 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 what does God think? You know, does he want us to go and take the Syrians or not? Would he deliver, it, deliver them in our hands or not? And, and, and so, yeah, go, go ahead. God will, this is Micaiah. Go ahead. God will deliver it in your hands. And Ahab goes, ah, oh, come on, tell me the truth. How could this be? He couldn't even believe that, you know, his prophecy is in favor of Ahab because it always goes against what I want to do well, because you're a wicked king. You're never in line with God's will, that's why. Have you ever thought about that? He goes, come on, tell me the truth. And then he tells him the truth. Ah, see, well, don't you want to know the truth? He just told you what you want to hear and now all of a sudden you knew that there was something wrong and now that he tells you the truth, you have a problem with it? You can never make wicked men happy. Never. Always got a problem with something. Yeah. So, you know what Micaiah says? I'm only going to prophesy that which God tells me to. Wow. Imagine standing your ground and saying, you know what? I'm going to be an authentic, Bible-believing Christian. I'm not going to tippy-toe around Scripture. I'm going to trust the Word of God as it is. And I'm not going to make more of it than what it is. I'm just going to trust it. Or is it, you know, oh, this is just going to bring heartache and trouble and anguish. And no, that's okay. I'm not going to say God said when God didn't say. I'm going to submit to the Word of God even when it looks bad. I'm just going to submit to it. And so, number four, using God's name in vain is when we live the Christian life in hypocrisy. Have a look at Romans, if you will, chapter number two. So how, the, how is this affiliated? Well, if you claim to be someone that you're not in God's name, it's in vain. And it's called hypocrisy. Uh, Jesus said, Isaiah prophesied regarding the Pharisees, that these people honor me with their lips and their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. So hypocrisy can simply... Uh, and living in hypocrisy can use God's name in vain because we claim to be someone that we're not. Have a look at verse 21. Thou therefore which teachest another, teachest thou not thyself? Thou that preachest a man should not steal, doest thou steal? Thou that saith a man should not commit adultery, dost thou commit adultery? 
Thou that abhorrest idols, dost thou commit sacrilege? Thou that makest uh, thy boast of the law through breaking the law, dishonorest thou God? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you, as it is written. All right, so what, what's taking place here is that you have those Jews that are claiming to be God's chosen people and that they know the moral law of God, but yet they break them. They're circumcised, yet but they break the law of God. They're being bad, bad examples to the Gentiles. But that's no different than a Christian saying that we know God and they preach the word of God and they share the word of God, but their life does not match. You know, that actually brings more shame and reproach to the name of God more than anything else. It's better off for a person just to be quiet than to profess that they know God and in their actions they deny Him. There's a lot of preachers that preach and a lot of people that speak the truth but their life is not matching their words. It's called hypocrisy. And I believe you can use God's name in vain when you preach to others that way. Have a look at Proverbs chapter 30. Proverbs chapter number 30. Notice the heart of this man of God, if you will. His prayer to God, knowing his own condition, knowing his flesh, knowing what he's capable of. Have a look at Proverbs chapter 30 and look at verse 8. He says, Remove far from me vanity and lies, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food convenient for me, lest I be full and deny thee and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of God in vain. How does stealing pressure a person to use God's name in vain? Well, perhaps we can look at this in two ways. The first one is they claim to follow God, live righteously, trusting God in all things, live by faith, and yet they live in hypocrisy by stealing. Or the second can be that they are caught stealing and they deny stealing and swear by God's name that they didn't steal. Either way, it's using God's name in vain. You know, our lives can bring about reproach to the name of Christ. Our lives can bring a reproach to Christ by showing partiality. Have a look at James chapter 2. Look at verse 1. Notice what the Bible says. My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons? For if there come unto you assembly a man with gold ring or goodly apparel, and there come also a poor man in vile raiment, and you have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, and say unto him, Sit thou here in a good place, and say to the poor man, Stand thou there, or sit here under my footstool. Are ye not being partial in yourselves, and become judges of evil thoughts? Hearken, my beloved brethren, have not has not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom, which he hath promised to them that love him? But ye have despised the poor, and do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seat? Do not they blaspheme that worthy name by the which ye are called? And he says this, If you fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. He says you do well. Amen? But, but he says, But if you have respect to the persons, ye commit sin, and are convinced of the law as a transgressor. In other words, you have transgressed or, uh, you know, uh, crossed that boundary, if you will, and you have violated God's war, law, and the law is lack of love, not loving your neighbor as yourself. Listen very carefully. You ought not to discriminate between a rich man and a poor man. Just because he's rich, you ought not to favor him over the poor. Listen, just because he's white, you ought not to favor him over the black man. Just because he's a black man, you ought not to favor him uh, uh, over the white man because you pity him. You can even go to the other extreme and you can favor the poor over the rich and say, oh, he's a little poor. No, listen, don't discriminate in any way, short before. Let's bring it closer to home. You ought, to, you ought not to discriminate over a person's health condition, whether they're vaccinated or unvaccinated. That's the principle from this passage. Listen. I'm not going to be forced as a preacher and a pastor to ask people whether they're vaccinated or not vaccinated so, they can re so I can receive them or so I can favor them. Or here we are, the vaccinated people, the elite, the double-dose boosters. Come and sit over here. 
And then, oh, oh, you're unvaccinated? Go sit over there in the corner. Uh, you're, a, you're a menace to society. Sit over there. And at the same time, the vac unvaccinated people can be fearful of those that are vaccinated, thinking, hey, they've got some poison in them, and I'm, I'm afraid I might catch it from them. I don't want to catch it from them because they've got it now and there. And so you can have all this division taking place that the government is trying to bring in the church. We're already divided as a country. But that takes place in our hearts. That's what's taking place today. Sooner or later, you're going to be labelled like they did in World War II from the Jews and the non-Jews. Corey Tambuzin's father, when he got arrested for uh, favouring the Jews and loving the Jews, when he was actually, you know, counselled by a pastor not to because the fierce judgement will come warning him he said it very clear to the pastor that his door is open to everybody. Jew or non-Jew. And as they caught them, a creep creeped in and they uh, found them out and they basically lost their home almost. They lost everything. They put him up on that truck and they gave him one more uh, warning and they, they said very clearly, that you can die an old man in your bed only if you promise that you don't favour the Jews anymore. And he said it to him again. My house is open to all men. Can you imagine that? You don't go preach the gospel to a leper because he's got leprosy. But you know what Jesus did? Do you see what's taking place today, brethren? That our society and our culture and our government and the world thinking alike are trying to esteem a society, a people greater than other people. They're causing this division. And I believe we as Christians, if we embrace this, we're going to give these people that don't know the Lord, that are against this, an opportunity to blaspheme God. So what kind of Christians are they? Discriminating. Yeah, what kind of Christians are you? I'm hearing churches that are stopping people at the door wanting to see their vaccine passport. When did God ever tell you to do that? When? When? You tell me when God in his word told us to. Listen, by the way, when God comes, he's going to judge great men and the, uh, not only great men, but all men, small and great, and they're going to judge them according to their works. And whosoever is not found in the Lamb's book of life will be cast into the lake of fire. God is going to judge unrepentant sinners. God is going to judge those that fail to trust in God's way. God's going to judge those that reject Jesus Christ. God's judgment is based upon his righteousness and nothing else. It's not on your status quo. It's not whether you're rich or poor, black or white, vaxxed or unvaxxed. This is of the devil. I can say that very clearly. It's not of God. God calls all men, all men, everywhere to repent. All men. You think it was something now because you're protected supposedly from someone? Well, I'm not saying that all vaccinated people think like that, but that's what the government wants you to think, brethren. And that's what the government wants our vaccinated brethren to think. That there's something terribly wrong with you. And that you're a danger to society. But do you know when his kingdom will come and God will set up his kingdom in eternal glory, you know who's outside of the kingdom? Well, my Bible says here in Revelation 22... The people that are outside of the kingdom are those that do not do the commandments of God. Those that are outside of those are, are the dogs, the sorcerers, the whoremongers, murderers, idolaters, and those that maketh a lie. Nothing in there about your medical condition, is there? Nothing at all. And by the way, one day, if, if the tribulation comes and people do take the mark of the beast, they're taking it because they worship the beast. It's, even then, it's not about their uh, health status. It's about worshipping the beast. The Antichrist is setting up him to be God on earth. What a terrible thing. It's never been about 
your status quo, brethren. God doesn't look at you because you have a two-story house and a BMW and he says, wow, look at this person. And God doesn't look at you either and say, oh, this person's so humble, they live in a shed. No, it's never been about that. It's always been about you receiving Jesus Christ as your personal saviour and fearing God and keeping his word. That's what it's about. Number two, I won't go here, it's just... I'll leave that out, but another way that we can actually bring reproach to Christ is when we're not sober-minded. The Bible says very clearly that the, the, the wives ought to love their husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. So your life and the way you live, and don't live in hypocrisy, love your wife, be, be loving your children, live holy, be discreet and chaste. But that's another way in which we can actually bring reproach to our Lord. We're Christians, but we do not love our husbands. And same thing, husbands, uh, you, you say you're a Christian, but you don't love your wife. That actually brings blaspheme, that blasphemes the name of the Lord. Or gives the enemy at least some reasonable excuse to say, well, if that's how you treat your wife, is that the church down the street over there teach you how to love your wife like that? I don't want to have a part of it. And by the way, you know what? There are people out there that have good excuse to say that. And you say, why? It's because those professing believers have given them that excuse. We ought not to, amen? Number five, using God's name in vain is when we disobey the Lord. So how's that? Well, Jesus says, why call me Lord, Lord, and you do not the things which I say? This is a perfect or classic example of King Saul. Have a look at 1 Samuel. Say, Lord, Lord. And you do not the things that the Lord tells you to do can be an expression of using God's name in vain. Have a look at verse 8 in 1 Samuel 13, verse 8. And he tarried seven days according to the set time that Samuel had appointed. But Samuel came not to Gilgal, and the people scattered from him. Now this verse is commanded that Samuel gave in 1 Samuel chapter 10. Have a look at couple of chapters over Saul was commanded to wait seven days to meet Samuel before anything took place the first thing that would take place was a sacrifice a burnt offering but he said I want you to wait until I come first Samuel 10 verse 8 and thou shalt go down before me he says to Gilgal and behold I will come down unto thee to offer burnt offerings and to sacrifice sacrifices of peace offerings seven days thou shalt tarry wait for seven days he says till I come to thee and show thee what thou shalt do. Is that easy enough? Is that instruction that can be followed? I mean, you can't miss that, can you? All right. So how did uh, Saul disobey? By the way, at this particular point, kings, uh, the, the, uh, the people uh, scattered, were scattered. They also were patient, perhaps fearful, because at this point the enemy was coming and they were perhaps going to take a, the Philistines' advantage of them. And they were getting worried and anxious so they too perhaps couldn't wait. And over here you have an anxious king, you have an anxious people, uh, and he didn't wait. And notice verse 9, And Saul said, Bring hither a burnt offering to me, and a peace offerings." And he offered the burnt offering. Look at verse 10, And it came to pass that as soon as he had made an end of the offering, the burnt offering, behold, who came? Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him that he might salute him. He just couldn't wait. I mean, did he come or not? Did he come on the same day? Yes, he just couldn't wait. Verse 11, uh, we see Saul blame three people or groups of people. And Samuel said, what hast thou done? And Saul said, because I saw who? The people. They scattered from him. So he blamed the people. And thou comest not within the days appointed. He blamed the prophet. And then he blames the enemy, the Philistines. And he says, and that the Philistines gathered themselves together at Mishmash. So he blamed three people. The people, the prophet, the Philistines. For what? For not waiting on the Lord? Look at verse 20. This is blasphemy. Therefore said I, the Philistines will come down now upon me to Gilgal, and I have not made supplication unto the Lord. Sounds spiritual, doesn't it? I forced myself. I really didn't want to do it. I had no choice, in other words. I had to do it. Therefore, and offered a burnt offering. Look, listen, brethren, there's no excuse good enough for disobeying the word of God. 
even if it so, sounds so spiritual and so pious, there's no excuse good enough to obey or violate the word of the Lord. No excuse. God held him accountable. Look at verse, uh, verse 13. And Samuel said to Saul, Thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. For now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. What was the consequences? Verse 14. But now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought him a man after his own heart. And the Lord hath commanded him to be the captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. There's consequences. The command, thou shalt not use God's name in vain. We can do that by not obeying the Lord. Oh, and, and, and the consequences are severe. Even, listen brethren, even a man after God's own heart gave the enemy opportunity to blaspheme God's name. The Bible says very clearly in Exodus chapter 20, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that takes his name in vain. Now that's an eternal consequences if you don't trust Jesus Christ as your saviour, but there's also a temporal consequence here on earth. If you live your life, you know, blaspheming God's name or giving the enemy a reason to blaspheme God's name, it's not good. In Acts chapter 10, verse 34, Peter opened his mouth and said of, of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. You know, King David gave the enemy an opportunity to blaspheme God's name. And we're talking about a man that was a godly man after God's own heart. I want you to see this in 2 Samuel chapter 11. They're almost done. I want you to see how serious it is, brethren. God is always looking for people that will fear him and work righteousness out of every nation. doesn't matter if it's Jew or Gentile. doesn't matter if you hold a position, an office, if you're a king... Anointed by God, God is always looking for people that would simply show reverence and a holy fear for God and a holy hatred for sin. Have a look at 2 Samuel. I want you to see David's downfall first and what started his downfall, if you will. I want you to see this. Because when you see someone fall, you don't see him fall where they fell. You, 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 you have to understand that it was a, a gradual thing. Something terribly happened. Something was terribly wrong before it actually happened, okay? I want you to see it now in 2 Samuel. Look at verse 1. And it came to pass after the year expired at the time when, when the kings go forth to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But look at this. But David, but David tarried still at Jerusalem. Where was David supposed to be? David was supposed to be in the thicket of all things while Joab and Uriah and his fellow brethren were suffering in war and battle. He took it easy in the palace. But David tarried. What happened? Look at verse 2. And it came to pass an evening, evening time that David arose off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house and from the, um, and from the roof, from the roof, he saw a woman. David saw. Look at verse 3, for the sake of time. David sent. Look at verse 4, and David sent messages. David took her. Do you see this down, downward spiral? And then David finds out that she has a kid. And then he calls for Uriah to come so he can set up this uh, romantic night that he would go and lay with his wife so it would look like Uriah... He was trying to cover his sin right now when he knew that she was pregnant. Oh no, how could she be pregnant when Uriah's out in battle? All right, call him over here. Go spend the time with your wife. You know where Uriah slept? Outside the door. You know why? He, well, David said, why'd you do that? And Uriah said to him in verse 11, he said, Uriah said unto David, the ark and the Israel and Judah abide in tents. How can I go live in a comfortable bed when the ark 
and, 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 and Judah and, 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 and Joab and all my brothers that are there. How can I be comfortable? You know what? That's a smack in the face to King David. King David, who knows what took place, but he was oblivious to what was going on. And verse 14, David wrote. His sin begins to just simply grow even worse. I mean, come on, David. You're a man after God's own heart. Now you want Joab to put Uriah in the thicket, right? And you even write in the letters because you want him dead. And so what does Joab do? Puts him in the front line where the mighty man were or the valiant man. And he knew that if he was there, he set him up to die. For the sake of time, chapter 12, and the Lord sent Nathan the prophet. Have a look. The Lord sent Nathan the prophet. Mm. What did you do, David? Gives him a little illustration, a story. You can read it again when you have time. And David gets really angry. He says, that man needs to die. And you know what? He needs to pay back four times. Justice, David. Man of holiness. But you're the man. And he says in verse 9 of chapter 12, Wherefore thou despise, look at this, the commandment of the Lord. How did he despise the commandment of God? He committed adultery and murder. To do evil in his sight. Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with a sword. Thou hast taken his wife to be thy wife and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Yeah, but it's under grace. Mm. Verse 10. Now therefore the sword. Look at, the, look at this. You know God is not a respecter of persons. Look at this. Look at this. The sword shall never depart from thy house because thou hast despised me and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will raise up an evil against thee out of thy own home, and I will take thy wives before thy eyes and give them unto other neighbors, and thou shalt lie in, uh, uh, with thy wives in the, sight of, uh, in the sight of this son. For thou didst secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. Now, let me say this to you. David had trouble after trouble after trouble with his children. They were against each other. I mean, you know what uh, uh, took place with Absalom? And Tamar, Naaman, uh, all, all, all this battle that was taking place in the home and then later on Absalom goes and pursues his own father. Well, the sword is not going to depart from your home. There's no rest, but not only that. Have a look at verse 13. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also hath put thy sin away. Thou shalt not die. You know what, David? God spared your life. What you've done is worthy of death, but God has spared your life. But look at verse 14. How bit because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemy of the Lord to what? Blaspheme. The child also that is born of thee shall surely die. It's a serious crime. There are serious consequences. And thank God, yes, thank God that we're under grace. But notice what the Hebrew writer says in Hebrews 12. Wherefore, wherefore we receive a kingdom which cannot be moved. Let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. And we have a generation today that wants to use the grace of God and turn it into lasciviousness and just really muddy the waters in looking at God to be holy. And I want to remind you here today that God is holy. And we need to be very careful with our words and how we live, making sure that we deal with sin in our own lives and the lives of those that come. But let me say this to you. There are sins that absolutely disgust God and there's forgiveness, but there are consequences. 
A lot of people don't want to face the consequences. What about the professing believers? Using God's name in vain. What's going to happen to them? But Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy? Well, not everyone that saith, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. What a shock. You can think that you can use God's name in vain and then you know, think that you know the Lord by your actions and working prophecies and doing many wonderful works, but yet the way you live disgusts God has no resemble of a born-again Christian, has no resemble someone that ex exhibits the fruit of the Spirit and God's attributes. We looked at that in Acts chapter 13 when Bar-Jesus came and trying to pervert the way of the truth. By the way, the interpretation of Bar-Jesus is the son of Christ. You know, what you know what Paul called him? The child of the devil. You're not a child of Christ. You're a child of the devil. Perverting the ways of God. Misleading people. Wow. Yeah. Because God is a consuming fire. God, don't look at God as this greasy grace God that is going to overlook sin. Did you know God's going to balance the books one day? He's going to balance the books. And God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. Just take it easy, do what's right. Live a holy life. Don't repay evil for evil. I'm going to fix it. And to me, that's comforting. Well, it's only comforting if you live a holy and righteous, upright life. But if you're living using God's name in vain by your words and your actions, it's not comforting. I want you to turn to one verse and we're done. Have a look at 2 Timothy. Look at this. 2 Timothy chapter 2, look at verse 19. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Does it say to continue in iniquity? No. To depart from iniquity. Brethren, it is an absolute sin and iniquity and blasphemy to use God's name in vain. It's a crime that has consequences. You want to live God, if you want to live away making promises that you cannot keep, using God's name for your own advantage, saying God said when God didn't say, uh, just simply saying God showed me, God told me, uh, 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 you know, uh, regarding different things, living a life of hypocrisy, but yet being disobedient to the Lord, there's, a, there's consequences. May God give us the grace for every single one of us to live lives that are honoring to God and His name in all that we say and all that we do. Amen? Let's pray.